Hey, Sweat Elite Podcast listeners, it's Matt here. Uh, I thank the listeners at the start of most intros, but I especially want to thank people today because there are, I mean, it really struck me earlier this week when I, I noticed how many awesome podcasts there are in the running space right now. It's it's awesome to see. It's it's exciting. And um, thank you if you've been listening into our podcasts over the last couple of weeks or a couple of months or, or even longer. And thank you for hitting play on this one. And I, I really hope and push for the content creators in every space, but especially the running space, to be to, to continue doing so during this very difficult time of the um, COVID nineteen coronavirus pandemic. Um, this intro is actually being recorded just several hours after the IOC have announced that they will be postponing the Olympic Games in Tokyo until two thousand and twenty one. Um, I guess that was uh, to be expected. But uh, I guess what struck me when I was editing this podcast episode and about to about to record this intro was I, I, I actually did this interview that I'm about to transition to with, with Sam Parsons of Tin Man Elite, who is one of the, I guess, founders and leaders of the group. Um, very inspiring character. I, I learned a lot from him in this interview. But, but we recorded this podcast five weeks ago. Um, it was on the 21st of February uh, and... At that point in time, when I was in Boulder, Colorado, where Tin Man Elite are based, there was really very little concern that that this coronavirus would spiral into what it has today. I mean, you know, people were taking notice of it, but it's it's really quite scary and um, how quickly it's it's progressed. And uh, I guess I, I want to say I'm I'm very sorry, and I, I feel for the people that have been affected by this. Um, people that have perhaps um, lost their jobs or they're in an environment now that isn't isn't quite as comfortable um, being isolated and working on their own. Um, we really just hope that we can play a very small part in that by continuing to produce content and keeping people, you know, learning about running and improving themselves. And, uh, of course, we, like everyone else in the world, hope that this thing is uh, sort of gets under control as soon as possible and people can get back to to their to their normal training routines and, and the races resume um, soon but it just is pretty incredible how quickly this has all happened and yeah once again I just wanted to say that I hope everyone out there listening is safe and is following the the suggested guidelines by by governments and the World Health Organization to 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 keep you know keep social distancing up and and, and isolation as much as possible it it absolutely sucks but it's so important right now um but uh yeah, this this interview that I recorded with Sam Parsons was was definitely um, a favourite of mine. He was very um, very open with sharing plenty of stories about how Tin Man Elite started. Um, many of the important conversations that he had early on with Coach Tom Schwartz and uh, Drew Hunter, who Tin Man Elite, I guess, was really started by, um, shares plenty of information about training. Um, some example training sessions of theirs, some that are some of his favourites, for example, but. Um, yeah, I, I think it was awesome to, to just learn more about the history of Tin Man Elite more so than anything else and how it got started, how they have developed into being the sort of popular and well-followed group that they are today. Uh, it all happened relatively quickly, in my opinion, and it was it's very, very inspiring. And I'm, I'm personally hoping that, that more teams such as Tin Man Elite are, are created and developed in the, next, in the next few years moving forward. Sam is the content creator at Tin Man Elite. He is the man that comes up with most ideas that you see on the Instagram and YouTube channels. Um, of course, assisted by many of the other um, members of the Tin Man Elite group, but he is... Uh, he- 
the real driver of the marketing and content of Tin Man Elite. So it was fantastic to learn more about, about that as well. So that's about enough from me in this intro. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast episode with Sam Parsons of Tin Man Elite. Okay, recording this podcast from Boulder, Colorado, and I have with me here Sam Parsons from Tin Man Elite. Thanks so much for joining, Sam. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's get started by talking about how you were first involved in Tin Man Elite, and then we can get into talking a little bit about how you were just in Phoenix training, about some of your goals, some of mm-hmm. the uh, past results, and so on. But yeah, how did your involvement in Tin Man Elite first come about? Because at least from my point of view, it sort of seems like you're a bit of a leader in the group and yeah. sort of one of the one of the main guys, I guess you could say. So yeah, let's hear a bit about that. Yeah, so it is quite a long story, and I'll keep it. Um, I'll try to do some spark notes here, but basically I quit the sport after uni and uh, didn't know what I was going to do. I knew that I wasn't going to gain any attraction from any shoe company or anything like that to continue running. And to be quite honest, I didn't believe in myself to continue running either. Um, And then I was in Europe and I was with my family in Germany and I heard about this race in Belgium um, where a lot of European and Americans came to race so I wanted to go over there and watch the race and I remember my heart just like racing watching that and remembering that feeling and that exhilaration and that empowerment that you get through this sport and that's when I met Drew Hunter uh, really for the first time I met him when I was previously working for Adidas when I was in college when we were signing him at the Olympic trials but the first time where I formally got to like sit down and get to know who he was and his character and everything like that. And he basically told me, Hey, I'm moving out to Boulder, Colorado. And yeah. And I had spent one summer in Boulder training when I was in uni and I fell in love with the place. It turned me into a high school runner trying to run in college to a college runner competing as a college runner. If that makes any sense. You know, the Hills here, the altitude, I just threw myself in it and through that process, I just, I've always loved summer training. Summer training is always my favorite thing to do. Just building up that base. It's very carefree. There's no stress of making sure to do the right workouts beforehand or anything like that. But, um, I basically, by the end of the European trip had such an itch to get back to the sport. And that conversation I had with Drew in Belgium just kept ringing through my ears. And I basically reached out to Drew and was like, Hey man, like, can I come train with you? <laughs> Simple as that. You know, like Tin Man Elite wasn't really a thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, Morgan Pearson uh, was running under the Tin Man Elite banner before he went over to triathlon, and uh, Drew had only run his first year professionally and was only running with an Adidas thing next to his name. And, uh, yeah, I got out here, and with the marketing background that I had through working at Adidas and my time there, and Reed kind of having a similar story as me being like, okay, can I come out here and train with you? And Drew, and it's something I will forever be indebted to Drew about, was he believed in me. Yeah. You know, belief is such a powerful thing in this sport. I think there's like, it's not my quote. It's, uh, I don't know who said it, but you know, if, if you can get one person to believe in you, like that'll be enough to accomplish great, th- great things. Um, and, you know, at that time and that moment, in that moment, like Drew was the one person that really believed in me. Of course, you know, my parents believed in me and things like that. But in that moment to really be like, Hey, come out here and train with me and live with me full time and spend these workouts together. And coming from my past history, I think every agent um, in the game 
and every person around Drew was like, I don't know if you should train with this party boy as this young kid, very impressionable kid. Um, but I basically told him, I was like, look, man, like, I promise I'll go all in. I promise I'll move out here and I'll go all in. And I moved out here at the same time as Reed Fisher. And Reed came from and also a very big marketing background, um, majoring in communications and PR and a minor in English. And all of us found basically that running wasn't enough for us. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to build something special and build something unique. And then together we were basically brainstorming. And I think you see it all the time new track clubs pop up every day, you yeah, know, where yeah. you see, oh, this town and this track club and they're doing this and they kind of bring out a logo out of nowhere and start to build something. And that's great and that's amazing, but I don't think people spend enough time thinking about their why. Why are they doing it, you know? And we spent a ton of time thinking about why we were doing it and what's important to us. And then with my background and Reed's background and with Drew's kind of hype and his you know, excitement around him as this young professionally signed by Adidas. We just started um, building momentum with Tim Manley. And even from the start, we all had this unwarranted confidence that we were going to build and be the signed professional runners that we are now. Yeah. You know, Reed and I were both afterthoughts in NCAA, you know, making, making the championship, but getting spit out the back the last K of every race, you know, whenever we got to the championship race. Um, and yeah, through you know, Coach Schwartz's training and just an unwavering belief in one another through our marketing endeavors and running endeavors, we were able to build to the point where we have now and had more and more guys believe in us. And yeah, here we are now. Yeah. Also, I mean, on the Sweat Elite podcast, I made it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. But I find it incredible that you're sitting here as a 337, 1500 guy, 355 mile. Um, 13.22 5k amongst other super quick times but only two and a half years ago were you I guess it was two and a half years ago mid 2017 yeah. where you sort of decided you had enough after college yeah. um, that's just such a, a huge step I mean to go mm-hmm. from feeling like you were done you had enough to being at, yeah. like, really at the cusp of qualifying for the Olympic teams mm-hmm. um, that's just a, I think something that really stands out to me has been super impressive um, so did you know Drew before you met him that day in Belgium yeah so um Another story we could spend a whole podcast talking on, and um, maybe Netflix will bring it to life one day or something, <laughs> or at least that's my dream, um, is uh, I was an intern at Adidas um, in 2016 during the Olympic trials. I was interning for the tennis department. That's right. Um, any, you know, any, I just wanted an in at the company. Yeah. Um, and like that was my step in the door. And I basically worked so hard all summer and trying to get all like my work done every morning in the tennis department and right. And I'll basically just annoy the shit out of my boss. Um, shout out Nathan Roche, um, <laughs> was like, I would basically be finished all my work and be like, Hey boss, like anything else you need me to do? Anything else you need me to do? And when he didn't have anything, I would just like run down to the running department and just like annoy them and like annoy their designers, the shoe, like the product guys, uh, the marketing teams and just like be a sponge and just like soaking all this information. And they like, allowed me to like run free with my own creativity and it was the first time I was ever asked why or and I was ever like it was the first time I was ever given the opportunity to like think freely I will never forget Andy Barr um who at the time was in charge of Adidas product um running um for North America uh him asking me like what do you like what what do you think about this and I remember just being like oh shit, like I need to like think on my own here. Yeah. It's like, like throughout all of like school and uni, it's always like, okay, here's this prompt and you write about this. Like 
you know, like here's this project you have to do, like figure this equation out. And all of a sudden I was given this, sorry, I'm ranting. I'm not answering your no, question. No, this is but, brilliant. Keep going. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, I basically did good enough in the tennis department by the end of the summer, yeah. by like kind of midway through the summer, my boss rewarded me with, um, I got to go to the Olympic trials yeah. um, for Adidas and I, and I convinced him that I would be product testing and helping the athletes out. I ended up just drinking every day with all the athletes <laughs> and like being just like the total fanboy around all these people and like amazed. And, um, I mean, the trials are such an amazing, uh, like pinnacle of our sport where it's this culmination of so much emotions coming together of, uh, you see someone getting fourth and crying and then you see the person get third crying and kissing their wife, you know, it's yeah. like this beautiful coming together scene. And that also reflects in like the bars afterwards, which is very fun. And that's why I was there. Um, <laughs> and that's the time they signed Drew. And I remember being the hungover college kid working at Addy at the time on the couch and this, you know, prodigy comes in, uh, and yeah, he signed with Adidas and, um, I was forced to go on like an hour run with him um, to like show him Pre's trail and everything around okay. Eugene, okay. Uh, which was great because I was gearing up for my senior year uh, of cross country season. And that's why I had to jump. And I think that story kind of tells you like how it happened was yeah. it, like, I took college running seriously for sure. Yeah. I worked, I worked my ass off. What were your best time? Um, you know, I only ran, I only ran like two, I think three 1500s my whole time in college. Um, yeah, I was injured a little bit, but, uh, I just focused on like 10 Ks and I just loved cross country. And by the time I got to track season, I was like, track is stupid to like run for yourself and like run for a time on the clock. I just never understood it. I thought it was stupid. Um, cross country is the purest form of our sport in my opinion when you're running for your teammates and you're running for, um, to prove yourself, everyone in cross country just guns it from the line. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. Uh, and in track there's tactic and, and what's the right race and is there going to be a pacer and all this, what's the weather like? all this other shit that people yeah. get in their heads about. Um, so yeah, I met Drew that day on an hour run, uh, after he signed with Adidas and kind of just kept in contact a little bit, like yeah. how you doing? Congratulations here and there. And then, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, um, spending time with him in Europe after that kind of sold me. And yeah. after seeing what Drew was able to do after he was signed, even in his first year running professionally, I, I truly do believe that Drew is the future of American distance running. Yeah. I mean, he's doing things at 21 years old that if he was in NCAA right now, he'd be kicking all their asses, yeah, you know, absolutely. and people forget that, that yeah. he's now doing it at the stage where people now have, you know, the best runners in America. And I think soon to be the world that you'll see, um, you know, with hopefully him qualifying for the Olympics this year and in Eugene in 2021, he's going to like show that he's going to be able to run in those finals, um, in those 5k finals. So, yeah, yeah, sure. No, I appreciate the, uh, and, and never apologize about ranting. I mean, the story is what people like to hear. So yeah. definitely keep it, keep it coming. Um, so you went back to Europe for, after you finished college mm-hmm. and I guess at the time you were probably thinking about staying in Germany because I, right. I guess another topic that I wanted to discuss was your, you, you know, you are a, a, a citizen of Germany mm-hmm. and you are competing for Germany and yeah. such. So mm-hmm. um, it was a bit of a U-turn to then come back to the States to live. Yeah. Um, but moving forward, you are going to be competing for Germany. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Um, was that something like, were you always, I mean, I'm not really too familiar to be honest, mm-hmm. with how citizen sort of ship works yeah. with athletes. So were you always going to be competing for Germany or was that actually a switch you had to make or how did that work? Yeah. So I've never, you know, ran for the U S and I've never run for Germany. You okay. know, I was never good enough to even think about running on the international stage. You know, if you would have told me that I, you know, finished 23rd at a world championship, I would have said like, like bug off, you know, yeah, like yeah. there's no way that would ever happen. Yeah. Um, and that was never a dream of mine. It was never a thought of mine to ever go and do this route. Uh, I wanted to make cool clothing and shoes and things like that in order to uh, empower kids like, like, yeah. like, like I did when I got a certain pair of shoes and the feeling I felt through that. I was like, I want to do that now also. Um, but yeah, so I was, I'm a dual citizen. I'm 50% German. My mom's German and my pops is um, American. And... Um, during that summer, um, I would always go to Germany, you know, in the summers growing up as a kid. And then there was this time period kind of in later in high school and then into college where I really lost my German roots, where I was so focused on running um, that I stopped going over, you know, to see my family over there. And um, I like slowly, like I grew up speaking German with my mom growing up, like I still am fluent in German. Um, but I lost a lot of it you know, um, and then going overseas after I graduated and spending time in Germany and the comfort and the happiness I had when I was there with my family, um, and, and knowing that and how important my mother is in my life and as like the inspiration and the empowerment that she is for me, um, just unwavering always by my side type of thing. I knew that it was time for me to take this next step to represent her. Yeah. Because this whole time in my life previous, and I didn't even realize how much it affected her in times, even when, even as like, as a young kid in like middle school, I remember these like little stories that she reminded me of. And I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I did that was when I was, you know, at like eight or 10 years old. Like I, I didn't know what I was doing. Like I'd get picked up from school and she would be like, Samuel, come here. Like come to the auto yet. Um, like, Hey, like come in the car. Like, let's go. Yeah, you yeah. know? And it would embarrass the shit out of me in front of my friends, in front of my American friends. And I remember getting it, or I, she reminded me and I'd get in the car and I'd be like, mom, like speak, speak English in America, (laughs) you know? And I lost those roots. But when I went over to Germany and I spent that time there, um, and even all my uncles, my cousins, my grandparents, everyone over there, I remember I was sitting at the, at the dinner table in this like moment that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. My uncle, who means quite a lot to me um, is, you know, very much a father figure in my life, um, said, you know, when laufst du für Deutschland? Like, when, when will I, when will you run for Germany? You know, Mm -hmm. when will I get to see you run? And it never dawned on me that they wanted to see me run for Germany. You know, I never knew they gave a shit. And it's a type of thing where, um, and I love my U.S. family, don't get me wrong, but athletics in Germany, they care about it. You know, like they They sell out arenas, you know, there was what, like 80,000 people in Berlin for the European championships. And I had no idea how much, how big of fans of running my entire family was. And they all came to my first German championships in Leipzig last year at the, um, at indoors. And it broke my heart this year because my grandparents couldn't come. And because of my injured Achilles, like I wasn't able to run, which actually was today, um, is the anniversary of that German 3000 title, um, in the Halle. Um, 
that I wasn't able to defend. And like my grandparents had bought tickets to watch me race. And that was the first time they'd ever get to watch me race for Germany. So, um, yeah. And, um, yeah. And financials obviously like played a role also. Yeah. I got so much more support from the German Federation and being a German athlete, um, in yeah, Adidas, Germany. I mean, Adidas, sure. Like in the U S yeah, of course, like, we, we can talk about the obvious. Like, yeah, I would be on the bubble for an Olympic team every year. I would be on the outside looking in. You know, I'd be that sixth, seventh place runner um, watching Chalimo and Lopez run their 25-second last 200, like, smoking me, you know? I mean, I think I'll be able to compete with those guys, but at least right now, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and USATF never, never cared, you know? I never got a phone call. I never got any sign of support from them, and neither should they. They have so many people on their on the u.s roster um when i was thinking about going to germany i got a call from the president you know of the federation idris and like talking to me like hey like how do we make this work yeah, that's a big i had Andrecht frankfurt like my current german club wolfram trauger like also the president asked me like hey like uh, like i know your family is from frankfurt like um from outside of frankfurt like we'd love for you to run for us and like if we can work out like a contract that like we will do that for you yeah and it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast. It's like when there's people that believe in you and want you to run for them, like that's what's gonna that's what's gonna get you to run that 25 second last lap with yeah. Chalimo and Lopez at the end of the day. You know, like it's those people in the stands and it's those things that uh, I believe that if you're running for those reasons, that's what's gonna get you to those places. Yeah, brilliantly described. Well done. Um, let's get back to to Tin Man Elite and sort of mm-hmm. the, the early days with Drew here read yourself mm-hmm. um what did that first year look like and then i guess what are some of the the things that you feel like you've done well to get to the point that where you are now where you're pretty like globally well known in the running mm-hmm. world um and what are some things i guess talk about maybe a couple of struggles that you've done yeah way. yeah um yeah so i remember showing up to boulder um this would have been late 2017 yep yeah. mm-hmm. um i showed up to boulder 20 pounds overweight after drinking and eating all the German baked goods I could ever have wanted um, throughout the summer. And you just passed um, through that you're all in. So. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like, and, and to this day, I can proudly say I've never gone out to the bars or had a night out since I moved to Boulder. Wow. Not one. Um, That's impressive. For I've now, celebrated now here in the house. Like we've had some house parties here to celebrate um, before, but I've never gone out like that. Um, so yeah. Take that. <laughs> um, Just to highlight, you're 25 yeah, years old. So yeah, from, from exactly. 25 and 20, uh, 23 and 25, that's, uh, that's impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've had my fair share of fun outside and after races and things like that. I can't I can't say that I'm a, all, like all that. But <laughs> when, you're, <laughs> when you're in Boulder, it's, uh, it's business. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's what it was when I moved here. Yeah. It was business. Mm-hmm. Um, we all had such a sense of purpose and a drive when we showed up here. Mm. Um, and I go back to what I said before, we, 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 we just worked, we just worked our asses off and we like, we, we didn't have an Instagram account. We weren't doing it for like the hyper for ourselves or anything. We just like, we just were working really hard. Um, you know, uh, I moved, I like was inspired by once a runner and, uh, Reed and Drew had already previously made their apartment arrangements. So I was kind of left out to figure it out myself. Mm. So I, um, got a cabin up at 7,000 feet in between mags and here, um, and just lived by myself for four months until Drew 
got this place that we're now doing the podcast in. Um, but excuse me. Um, I just lit, there's no Wi-Fi up there. You know, I had like a dog that I was watching for this guy. I was like living in the bottom floor of his house and he was never there. And I just like, uh, yeah, I lived a very running lifestyle. Yeah. You know, like how far away is that from here? Um, it was a 25 minute drive into town. Um, yeah. So then just down the hill every day and when it snowed, I couldn't make it down. So a lot of the times I was sleeping on, um, on Drew's couch um, for weeks at a time when the snow would come in in the winter. Uh, And then, yeah, I, you know, there's this story that I still joke about with Drew all the time. Uh, Whenever we aqua jog together, because we're we're like pretty big into aqua jogging. uh, And so it was like coach Schwartz is that it's like aqua jogging. Aqua jogging. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Water running is that, um, is like he, he loves, he wants us to go in there like, for like mentally to like digest the day to like digest your training like believe in what you're doing yeah. like go through the motions of your running you know like whether you have a workout the next day and you're in the pool like go through that motion you know think about your stride and that length and pushing out you know um and the pool is like you know you can't have your phone you can't you know like it's a focused place and, yeah. and drew and i would do that a lot and it's great for recovery you know it's better compression for your legs than any normatex ever going to give you the natural compression of water uh, and Drew and I, you know, we were, uh, you know, training and we're training hard throughout this whole winter. And then all of a sudden uh, the outdoor track season is about to get going and, uh, Stanford invites on the calendar and Stanford invite was Tin Man Elite's Olympics. <laughs> like that year, 2018, like our first year all together was like, all right, we got Reed in the 10 K, like we got Drew in the 1500 and we got me in the 5 K. Like we need to make a name for ourselves, you know, like we got to do something good. And, um, I remember like aqua jogging with Drew for months and Drew just, uh, instilled all this confidence and we still do this, you know, we still do this as we just, uh, and I think it's very important for teammates and uh, coach Schwartz does the same thing is we just instill this confidence to one another that we're like, dude, you're going to, you're, you're going to fucking rip this, you yeah, know, like yeah. you're going to crush this. Yeah. Uh, and I remember Drew telling me that like, we were aqua jogging one time. He's like, dude, like you're going to, you're going to break like 1340. And I was a 1352 guy coming, moving to Boulder. Um, and I'm like, you mean I'm gonna be a 1330 runner? You know, I can say I'm in the 1330s. Like that is a re- that's a good run. You know, that is a really good runner. If you can say you're 13, three something, something yeah. like that is legit. Like well, that's that is borderline. that is respect right there in my mind. Like, uh, and he's telling me this, and I remember just like looking at him like, you really like you really think I break 1340, man? Like you really think I can do that? Like totally puppy dog. Like you really you know you really think I can do that? And and, and just basically, like, every aqua jog session, we, like, talk about this. Like, like he him slowly building this up in me. I ended up running, I think, like, 13.42 and, like, missing it. But then in the next 5K after that, I ran 13.38. And the next one after that, I ran 13.29 during that se- same yeah, season. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and Reed ran a – ripped a 10, 10K and, you know, Drew ran a great 1500 like he always does. Um, and it was a huge weekend for us. And then slowly we were like, all right, like, um, and I remember handing out to mentally t-shirts for free at Stanford invite to just like the homies, you wow, know, okay. like people, like we print it. Like that was when like Reed and I spent a lot of time that winter, like kind of thinking about the logo, like what should it stand for? Like, you know, every part of that logo has a meaning, every single corner of it, you know, has a story behind it and why we had it, why those axes are, um, up against each other like that to show the teamwork, you know, the axe is a symbol of this 
consistent hard work that we were doing that whole winter when we were building it, you know, just chopping away at that tree, just getting better a little bit every day, running the right training, doing the Tin Man training properly, not pushing too hard, making sure that we're healthy and getting to the starting line, feeling good. Uh, and we just had so much fun doing it and building that and, uh, handing those t-shirts out. And then, uh, and then I think before USA's we launched the website and like Reed and I worked a ton on that website and getting it, um, to our level of, yeah. And then, yeah, and just kept doing more and more things and just having a, you know, Benjamin Weingart, like a photographer that I just met in a bar in Boston, um, after a race, he just like moving out here in the summer and just shooting us. And, um, yeah, it just has snowballed and more and more ideas are coming. And even during this time that I've been injured the past four months since worlds, I've just poured, it's been such a creative outlet for me to have Tim Manley and for have to, to have coach Schwartz and to have Adidas, um, give me and give all of us the creative freedom to like do what we want. You know, it's not, it, you know, it's not, um, it's not some billion dollar brand telling us what to do. It's us. We're making the decisions. We're sitting down and thinking about what can we do that is going to make a positive impact for this sport in some way or another, whether it's through empowerment or inspiration or whatever it may be. We're like always trying to do that and push, push into new things. And, uh, during that injury time period, the last four months, uh, I was able to work on everything that we have planned for 2020 that I can't wait to start rolling out here. Yeah. I think it's again, super impressive that you're talking about only a year, a year and a half ago where you were handing out free t-shirts and building a website. And Mm -hmm. now you ask, you know, almost anyone that that knows a lot about running about Tim Emily, they know who it is. So it's a, it's been a very quick progression, I think to, to sort of be so well known on the world stage. You know, we built a foundation and we hammered down our why. You yeah. know, this storytelling is the root of it, you know, and that's like you if you don't have yeah. the story behind it, yeah. how do people get behind it? How do people understand what you're doing? You yeah. know, and you got to hash that out and we have a whole brand playbook, um, a mission, every single thing thought out. Um, and I think that's why we were able to have the progression where we are now, yeah. um, is because people understood it, you know, and they believed in it because we did. Who was the... It may, very well may have been you, but who was the athlete that you sort of revolved a story about being injured very recently? Was it a how are you doing? Yeah. What, what was the title of that? Because that was really touching, yeah. I think. Yeah. What was it called? Yeah. So, how yeah. So basically, um, yeah, it was called How Are You Doing? Yeah. And it's this, you know, it's this phrase that I think rings true within so many people in the sport. It's um, when you get injured, especially when I know when I was in college, uh, uh, being being the team captain, and all of a sudden after cross country team being removed, I would sit in my locker and, you know, guys on the team would, you know, always come up to me and, like, dab me up and be like, yo, like, how you doing, man? Yeah. And, you know, I'd be like, yeah, like, good. Like, I'd lie to their face. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm doing good, you know. Um, or you'd say, or, 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 like, you know, sometimes I'd be honest, be like, yeah, like, it's a pretty, pretty shitty day, man, you know. Um, like, how do you answer that? It's the hardest question to answer. Yeah. Um, because there's no, there's, there's no right way to say it. And um, with our photographer, Ben, like, was a big root of the idea, and we felt that, you, you know, you always see, you always see like on social media and, you know, like on the website and all that, like that, you know, the, the Goliath moment, you know, when you're crossing the finish line with your arms This up, is what I was know? getting at with the question. Is um, that how often do you see someone suffer an injury? Yeah. You know, it's so common to, for them just to disappear online totally. and to yeah. just like stop logging on Strava and just stop totally. really posting and yeah. occasionally might be like, uh, yeah, um, you know, you'll see the, but I really... 
that's where I really honestly started to connect with with the team and, and really sort of take notice because I was mm-hmm. just like, this is something really different mm-hmm. to really share that story about an, uh, about how devastating an injury can be at a time where the team is all so positive and you're all building in the right direction and to yeah, have sort of one person or if everyone may have been two, I'm sorry, I'm just not... Yeah, it was Drew and Joey who shared two. their stories. And yeah. like, we'll continue the series like yeah. as it develops. Like, I've been going back and forth whether I would want to write one on my Achilles, okay. you know, since Worlds and we'll see how that progresses. But there were such impactful stories and I think so many people in the sport go through the same thing. Yeah. But no one knows how to like cope with it mentally and physically. Mm. Um, and it's such an emotional process. And for people to know that if Drew Hunter, the guy who can, you know, close that race in 50 seconds in a 5K, you know, like is the guy that um, is going to be making all these world and Olympic teams in these years, went through the same emotional, physical, mental agony, you know, um, you know, crying in his room, not not knowing if he's ever going to run again, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds dramatic, but those are the moments that we get yeah. to sometimes where you think like right after you get your third MRI result and it's still broken, you know what I mean? Or, or it's still not clicking, you know, or that shot that you just got didn't work, you know, like you start to wonder when this it's is part of the territory. Yeah. It is part of the territory. You sign up for the sport, you're signing up to get injured. I was just working with, um, John Ball, who's a you know, famous physio that seemingly everyone goes to, um, to get healthy. Um, and he, he, he would keep telling me, I'd be like, all right, John, like, what's going on? You know, like, what, what do you think happened? You know, and he's like, dude, you're like a runner. Like, gravity happened. Like, like you know, and, and it's like, it's, it's, it's funny. It's stupid, but it's true, you know. Like, it's part of the territory. And I think going back to what our mission at Tim Man Elite is, you know, we're here to push the sport forward and for us to share those very, very vulnerable stories with people and more people can connect with those things, the better that we can the be, you know the better the sport will be and more people within the sport will be also yeah sure um coach schwartz so you moved here and obviously in, in 2017 into 2017 um you already knew what he had done with through and how you know how knowledgeable and how i guess uh, intelligent the coach is how did you initially feel training under him did you click straight away did it take you some time to figure out his Mm-hmm. His, uh, I guess, his met- uh, his training methods, yeah. and obviously it's working for you now because you've had a, a very, yeah. uh, at least from my from my point of view, a pretty steep improvement mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. So, yeah, um, I had him on the podcast earlier this week, and he was, uh, yeah, I-, I learned a lot in the two hours I spoke to him. So, yeah, it'd be good to hear about what you, you know, I mean, why do you feel he's so, he's so successful at what he does? Um, when I, you know, when I moved here, um, there was such a blind faith in coach Schwartz, Mm. um, and his training. And I think that's, uh, something that is one of the largest root causes of not running well is if you don't have that blind faith in your coach, you know, you're constantly questioning like, Oh, is this workout really going to make me race as hard, like peak the right way? Or is it, um, Oh, I think we're doing too much. You know, are we doing speed work too early? Like there's all these equations that you think about what coach Schwartz did for me is he, and, and what he does for a lot of our athletes is he takes the stress out of running. Yeah. There's so much stress that comes into this. I got to hit this workout right. I got to do this right. You know, you know, instead of, instead of giving us 200 meter repeats on the track and if you, any runner, whether you're high school, college, I don't care. You do 200 meter repeats on the track. You're starting at 35 and you're finishing with that 29, you know? And if you don't do that, if you're having a bad day and all of a sudden you kind of have go backwards a little bit, you leave that track workout upset, pissed off, you know, yeah. like, oh, it was a bad day. Didn't go to plan. 
coach doesn't let us do that. You know, okay. coach gives us those 30 second hill reps instead where you're just sprinting up, getting stronger every rep. You have no idea if you're running 30 second pace or 25 second pace or four, or you just dog that rep and you ran 40 second race. But guess what? Your heart's racing, you're breathing and you're going to finish that workout. and You're going to be like, yeah, that was good. I got, <laughs> I got better today. And that's, and, and that's what was this huge shift in training for me was I no longer was stressing about hitting this K, this three flat K and then this 258 K and then yeah. 255 and then 249 at the end, you know, like that was taken out of the equation. Yeah. And I think that is a lot of the heart of the brilliance of coach Schwartz's training is that, um, and it can be hard for some people because you do have to trust it that we're only doing these three minute fart licks. And yeah, sure, you can look at your Garmin and see that you're going 440 pace, and you're like, okay, that's good. And we do that time to time and like make sure that we're running well. But with Boulder being such rolling hills and stuff, it's hard to do that. And um, you know, I've I have like a few funny stories about Coach and like, like moments when I um, like doubted him. You know, because that's a huge thing with coaches. It's like when you when you start doubting them, and then maybe another teammate starts doubting him. And I remember the first time I ever doubted him was. Uh, Ironically, I know you went to like a tempo run with the guys. Yeah. Coach rarely gives us tempo runs, like continuous tempo runs. Okay. He rarely does. Uh, and when, when he does give it to us, we're all like really excited because we get to do a tempo run because it's such a cornerstone of any training ever and you love hammering out and you're like, oh, I'm strong now after right. you do that five, six mile tempo run, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, I remember telling Coach like, oh, like I like, can we do a freaking tempo run? Like, I'm trying to get, like, strong. I'm trying to get ready for whatever, you know. I forget when, uh, what part of the year or season it was. But um, he had given me, I think, like, four-minute reps instead. And I just wanted to, like, hammer a six-mile tempo run. And, and like, yeah, I definitely was a bit snarky and sent him a message like, oh, like, no te- like no tempo run or some, <laughs> something like that, you know. Yeah. And I just remember he, like, called me and, like, blew up on me a little bit. Um and he was like, you, well, Sam, you know why we're not giving you a tempo run? You know why we're not giving you a tempo run? Because when you do a tempo run, guess, guess what you do? You get locked into the same shit, shitty form that I don't want you to run in. You're training for a 5K and a 1500. When you're training for those races, I want you on your toes. I want you feeling good. I want your chest up. I want your arms back. And if I give you four-minute reps, you know, 10 by four-minute reps, you're going to rest and you're going to attack going into each one of those reps, mm, you know, yeah. and, and you're going to get in that stride that I want you to be in. If I give you a six mile tempo run, you're going to lock into this five minute pace, get on your heels, slaunch over by the end of it. And you're going to look like shit, you know? <laughs> um, he's like, yeah, you're going to feel great because you did that last mile in 455, but it's not accomplishing what I want you to do. You're going to be firing in a totally different muscle group than what I want you to be firing today. And it was one of the, my moments where I'm like, I really need to, I really need to just shut up and just trust him. Yeah. Like, and that's, yeah. And he is, um, he's read every book under the sun of running. Mm. He knows what every coach has done and he will prove it to you. I'm sure as he did in his podcast talking about all of his mentors and everything. He told me he'd been reading Sweat Elite before it even existed. Yeah. He said four years and I said, well, we launched this under four years ago. I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 That that sounds like Coach Schwartz. And, um, he is, um, I, I do, I do really believe that he is, um, one of, you know, as far as writing training goes, one of the best in the world. Yeah. Like at, at writing training and getting you to run well year round, one of the best in the world. I observed him closely in the tempo run yesterday, did six miles, slightly progressive and then some hills at the end. And he was 
in the zone. Like he was really watching people's stride. Mm-hmm. He was uh, he was calling out the window, telling people to you know slightly shift their shoulders back. You know, watch yeah. your left hip. Like he was really yeah. I was really impressed that I couldn't interrupt him. It was just like yeah. he, was really, he was really focused on what yeah. you guys were doing. And he's big on this. Um, we actually spoke about it at length in the podcast episode with him. But I'd like to hear, I guess, a couple of. Um, Maybe a minute or two of your opinion on you know his 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 I guess hallmark uh, part of his philosophy is the, is the critical velocity you know training um, intensity and I tried to get out of him you know what pace is that and you kind of already hinted at it just before he's like no no it's not a pace exactly, it's not a pace yeah. it's an effort it's an effort, yeah. it's an effort and you've always got to be thinking like well can I hold this effort for thirty minutes exactly and he goes that's a rough way to put it but that's mm-hmm. that's so it's slightly so I was like so it's slightly faster than the threshold he said yeah yeah. But it's not a pace. You've got to just feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you do that more or less every week, I guess, at least one session. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just about every every Tuesday, we will hit 20 to 25 minutes of CV work. Yeah. You know, like it's a cornerstone of our training where we're constantly getting in this rhythm, whether it's through, you know, three-minute reps or five-minute reps or four-minute reps or uh, I don't think we've ever gone longer than five minute reps um, where we're running or a continuous tempo run where we're running that CB pace. And um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a big feel thing and it's definitely um, hard, you know, for the new guys to lock in on that and figure that out just cause you just, you want to run with the top guys, you know, and all of a sudden you're running, you're not running CB pace. You're running more of like a threshold pace or over. Um, I, like I was kind of telling you before we started this podcast, like, I'm not like the training guru guy that uh, Drew Drew may be with this stuff. Like he could he could go into detail about CB and how he's like perfected it for himself. And I've um, got very lucky, I'd say, to f- find out that uh, Drew and I are very much uh, similar runners. You know, um, like strengths and with our speed and everything. And uh, coming from my 10k background, I had so much more strength than he had. So we complemented each other real well. And you know, Coach Schwartz immediately was like, you're done with the 10 Ks. Like I want you to run 1500s and five, you know, 1500s and five Ks, um, seeing that potential in my stride and things like that. Like, like let's harness this speed that people just like inherently think they don't have, Mm. you know, Mm. but you can train it if, if you train smart, you know, but, and you learn how to like use your cadence and change your form. And, you know, I think it's so overlooked. It's like, yeah. Yeah, no, what was crap. Um, Sorry, I don't know much about CV. I, I can't, like, I, I don't know too much about like, the science behind the, it. You, you did warn <laughs> before we recorded that Drew is the man, so go into more detail. Yeah, absolutely. But, like, but, I mean, listeners would have already listened to, I'm hoping, the, the yeah. episode with uh, with Coach Tom Swartz before this comes out. So yeah, absolutely. So they'll know all about it. Um, yeah, CV is a, you know, it's a, you know, it's a thing that we live by because it's a, it's a, it is a zone where you can feel comfortable and you feel confident. Yeah. And that you've, you know... One, one cornerstone of coaches training, and I think it's something that um, another thing kind of the new guys um, have to learn, and it's something I think we did really, really well, especially in the early years, and I think it's something that like Drew and I do really well, is and something Coach Schwartz always harps on us all the time about, is like, I want you finishing this workout begging for another rep. Like, I want you to finish that workout begging that you could run that last quarter in sub-60 or whatever, you know? Like, I want you to finish that workout saying good workout. I'm going to feel even better on Friday. And I think that's something that a lot that you find a lot in training and you find a lot on sweat elite when you look through those training logs and you see 
that grandiose last K or yeah. something, you know, that, wow. Then he dropped that 52 at the end. Are you kidding me, Alan Webb? Or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, like, we don't have that shiny little badge in our training logs. No, no, Coach doesn't give it to us. He doesn't let us. He rarely does, and when he does, we take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds very rare. I listened in preparation to, for, even though we've been chatting online a bit, um, mm-hmm. I listened to actually a podcast of, of mm-hmm. Tim and Lee. Um, I think it was from last year, and, and you said more or less what you just said in that um, every training session, it's, it's almost like in the back of your mind towards the end of the session, you've got to be thinking, well, am I going to be able to get there tomorrow and still feel fine? Yeah. And that's what it's all about. And that's um, the keep the ball rolling mantra the, that yeah. Coach Schwartz loves yep. ingraining into our heads. Well, very similar to what I experienced in Kenya um, observing Elie Kipchoge's training. He, never, he very rarely goes to the well. He'll go to the well maybe once every month, mm-hmm. so probably three or four times in a preparation where yeah. he'll really nail it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you even said it yourself, like, you might get that occasionally where the coach will go get after it, but for the most part, it's sort of about hitting that, like, 90 to 95% effort right. um, and then wrapping it up, and that's yeah, enough. Exactly. Turning up the next day, you still feel fine. You can get out of bed. You can get out the door without, you know, too much too much of a problem. But, um, yeah, it sounds like that's absolutely working for the group. And I think you've also probably got to factor in the altitude here a little bit as well in that because mm-hmm. I think going to the... To the, uh, to the limits at altitude is a little bit mm-hmm. risky as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um, so cool. So I guess moving forward this year, what is the focus on for you? Is it 1500? Is it 5K? A bit of both? Like mm-hmm. what are your goals this year, I guess? Yeah, Drew... Um, I know you just come off a bit of an injury period, but... Right, yeah. So like coming now. off of um, Worlds, kind of going into Worlds, um, kind of at London Diamond League, um, going into... Uh, the end of the season, I kind of started feeling that like classic Achilles tightness and basically trained through it, um, to like worlds. And that was like worlds obviously being as late as it was, was like the worst case scenario for me personally, having to like train through just kind of like a tight Achilles for that extra month. And that extra month that kind of really did me in. Um, so I just, now I am like working on again after like a frustrating three or four months of, uh, just like up and down train, up and down uh, training, and not being able to really work out, but being able to go on like easy runs and things like that. Um, Drew told um, said, you know, we have we have team meetings all the time where we'll come together as a team and just talk. And like typically, the team meetings will talk about like where we're at, like emotionally, talk about goals, like whatever, you know. And uh, I was getting very anxious with like the Olympic cloud. Like, thinking about, like, wow, this is this one opportunity every four years. And, you know, with having, you know, the Germany and, like, it being there, like, I have a golden ticket to be able to race there. Um, And Drew said something, and I'm not going to do it justice now, um, where he basically said, um, like, he basically said we just have to keep enjoying this, you know? Like, we can't change and get all serious now and stop being like the goofy fun kids that like we typically are just because it's the Olympics, Mm -hmm. you know, or something like we're going to train our asses off, do things right, do the Tim men way. Um, And so uh, awesome for that to come from him too, who obviously has a bit of pressure on him, I guess this year. Yeah. More so than more so than anyone on the team. Um, As far as, you know, making the world team, but missing out on it because of injury. Um, And now he's in the part of his career where, and he'll be the first one to say, like, um, he'll, he, you know, he's the only 21-year-old outside of Jakob, of course, like, that will say, like, oh, I should make 
an Olympic, like it is my job to make these teams now. Yeah. Like he, like he'll say it's my job to make these teams now. And he has that mentality. Um, but yeah, for me personally, um, Drew's kind of been like playing around. He thinks that I drew once again, kind of going back to the 1340 story. Uh, he's, he's been starting to instill this confidence in me in the 1500 telling me like, dude, like, like you, like, I think you can run 334. Like, I think you can get that Olympic standard in the 1500 if you get in the right races. I mean, I still have only taken, you know, I think under 10 cracks out of 1500 in my life. Like I'm still very new to the race and the discipline. Um, I wish there was a 3k, you know, coaches, coaches, coaches training is geared towards three, 3000 meters. Uh, and he trains us like when, when, when he calculates our critical velocity and, um, gearing our training, it's 3k training, you know, Mm. where you're going to run a damn good 5k and a 1500 off it also. Mm. Um, so yeah, it'll be really interesting. Like, I definitely want to like, uh, I I don't want to like ignore the fifteen hundred just because of me focusing on like a five k at Worlds last year. Um, I definitely yeah, I want to give like an honest crack at the fifteen hundred and at the five k this year to make um, Worlds. Like, I'll definitely run uh, Peyton Jordan five k as if all goes well in the build up from now and then, um, and see how that goes. And I would love to jump in one of these. Uh, Diamond League three Ks and see if I can run sub seven forty there. Yeah, you've got a seven forty four. already. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, and just see how it progresses. And you know, one great thing about Coach Schwartz, and it kind of goes back to the stress, like Tim taking out the stresses of it, is he, you know, he really has a lot of gives us a lot of liberty in like what we want to do. He tells like what you're excited about. That's what I want you to do. I don't want to make you run a ten K if you're like oh shit, this is a 10k, you know, like I'll never make you do that. Um, and same thing for a 5k or 1500 or whatever, you know, it's like, if I'm excited to go to Portland or Germany and run a 5k German championships, I'm going to do that. Like if I'm up for the challenge of seeing if I can, you know, close in these like tactical races and run a 51 last lap to compete in a 1500. And that's something that excites me at that time of the year. Like he's going to be like, all right, let's, let's do it and let's go for it. So We'll see. I definitely like my heart's in the 5K for sure. Um, just because 1500 seems like more of a crapshoot mm-hmm. with like tactics and how you're going to do and like me being so naive with the race still. Yeah. Like my tactics for every 15 I've ever ran is just like get on the rabbit. Yeah. And then typically being that guy that's making sure the pace stays on going into that lap, you know? Sure. Um, and I'd like to break that stereotype down this year and start winning some more, winning some more races. <laughs> but, uh, Definitely the 5K and, like, the the romance of the 5K for me personally of, like, the build-up. And it's still this race where you, uh, if you want to compete at the international level, you got to be a sub-4-miler and you got to be able to close that last K and that, you know, sub, you know, 240 or whatever, yeah. you know, K. Um, yeah, like 230 last K or something, like, really badass. Um, and I want to be able to, like, really I, – I, I feel like the only 5K – of Payne Jordan last year, like I haven't really nailed it, you know, like London uh, at the Diamond League last year coming off of like my 744 3K PB, I was like, Olympic standard, here we go, you know, like I'm ready, I was in the best shape of my life, like I ran an insane workout like at Adidas headquarters like the week before then, Um, and I was like, okay, I got this, Um, and then I like went through three and a half, I think we went through 3K in like 752, felt great, and then... 800 meters later, the body just didn't have it, you know, like whether it was like sugar or carbs as, you know, coach, I think put it after the race. Um, 
because we couldn't admit that my, it wasn't my fitness, you know, <laughs> um, that, uh, yeah, I just blew up and it wasn't my day to do that. So I like really want to see if I can, yeah, run that next tier, Yeah, you know, where it's That's like, where, yeah, that, in that 1310 range where it's like, okay, this kid should, can make an Olympic final, yeah. you know, it's like, I'm not just an Olympic tourist, yeah. you know, it's like, no, he's here to race. Yeah. And that's like that next step I hope to make in the next two years. Yeah, sure. I liked what you said before when you said, you know, coach pays attention to what excites you and what, um, you know, what, if you hear about something in particular, you know, it sort of, yeah, it gives you a bit of excitement. What, back to training for a moment. What are some of the favorite workouts of yours that you sort of, once you see on the schedule, mm-hmm. you think, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. And then on the other on the other side of the table, what are ones that you think, oh, no, this is, I, I actually really don't like this. Uh, that may <laughs> not exist, but if it does, I'm yeah. Right um, yeah, there's no workout that I really don't like under Coach Schwartz's program. Um, you know, like he, you know, he really, he's all about, as I kind of referred to, and that's that like story when I got upset with him about not giving me a tempo run, he's like all about, you know, letting us catch our, catch our rhythms mm. and one workout that he gives us a lot to like catch rhythm and like just just get comfortable running a fast pace is just like is just a really classic just minute on minute minute off yeah. you know like gearing into that like 3k speed and you know i've like looked down my watch sometimes doing those workouts on like the dirt roads or if it's you know what whatever and like i'll, I'll look down on my watch during a split and i'll be running four minute pace yeah. and it's like that just came naturally I wasn't like, I wasn't on a track stressing about running sixties, you know? Um, but that just happened naturally, you know, or the next rep I run four ten pace because it was a little bumpy. I hit a turn or whatever, you know? Um, so I love the, I, I love those workouts where he's like, gives us a minute reps and we just find our own rhythm that day. Um, and it's kind of funny when we get those workouts, um, you're like, ah, like 15 by minute, like, or 12 by minute or whatever, you know, it's like, on paper, it sounds like a very easy workout, yeah. you know, yeah. but like all of a sudden you get to like eight and you're like kind of lactic and it's building up, you know, and like guys four, are like, you kind of don't know how good like Drew or Gusman feels. And if you're, if they're about to put you to the, like sharks or not, yeah. um, those workouts can get pretty hard. Yeah. Um, and I like those. Um, I love hard long runs. Like I'll be the first guy to push the pace too early on a long run. Um, which Coach Schwartz always gets pissed off at me about because he doesn't like us to run long runs hard um, unless he gives us the green light to do that. Um, uh, there's one workout that um, I did before Worlds um, in Chiavenna that was a three by mile, uh, four by 300. Uh-huh. And this is one of the times where we like actually can like tangibly look at like where you're at, you right. know? And I don't, I, I've never been a training log guy and my training log is horrendous. Um, and, and maybe this podcast and working with you guys a little bit will inspire me to start doing my logs a bit better because of how cool it is to go back and look at them. Yeah. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, Street by you know, we started at like 425 and, uh, then it was like four, 415. And then the last one was like 410, yeah. um, with like a lap jog recovery in between. So like whatever that lap was of jogging um, between those miles, and then uh, yeah, the three hundreds were uh, forty one, forty thirty nine. You know, um, just progression. And like coach wants everything to be a progression. And same thing with with the three hundreds. It was just like finish and then you know jog, jog a lap, yeah. and get back around. Um, so not not a ton of rest, and like that that's definitely 
like a workout that coach Schwartz knows that I like, like, like I've always, um, running a mile around a track and if you hit those splits, right, feels damn good. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's very tangible. Yeah. Like, yeah, K's, like I get it. They're also very tangible and everyone knows what a K is. Um, but mile, my, a mile, um, because of the allure of like the sub four also has like a romance behind it. Um, yeah. that always feels good when you can hit that progression really nicely. They're very quick splits. I mean, I would have thought that you would have been trying to do 5k pace mm-hmm. on those three by mile. That's yeah. a bit quicker at the end there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That definitely was do you think probably you're in better shape than 13, 22 at that point in time. I mean, you can't really show yeah, I mean, the world, so. Yeah. I mean, I like limped through the, the next, like probably the next week after that workout <laughs> because of my Achilles. Um, oh. <laughs> um, and it was that type of relationship at that time. And, yeah. It was incredibly frustrating at Worlds, like, knowing that I've, you know, I came off, like, yeah, it's Fifth Ave, like, came off a 355 mile um, on the roads um, before I left for training camp in Switzerland, Um, and, yeah, I I absolutely have, like, the belief that I was, like, closer to that 1315, 310, like, fitness range. It was just the right race, and it's figuring out, um, you know, I'm still figuring out the 5K, you know, it's, like, what is that right race, whether it's going through an eight flat and then really hammering that last mile, or it is, you know, like throwing myself to the sharks like I did at London and going through in like a 750 race, like that stuff I still... You need a bit more time to figure out. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hopefully the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, to round the episode up, I want to ask a couple of quick questions mm-hmm. that I, yeah. uh, while I was doing mm-hmm. some study before the interview... A couple of your earned but unwanted nicknames. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Accessories, what's that about? Um, I just, <laughs> as you can see, um, <laughs> uh, I just, I like, um, yeah, I like wearing accessories. And uh, Morgan, I guess he's probably given the most nicknames of ever, anyone. Like before I even showed up to Boulder, um, when like they found, when the guys, because Morgan trains with us and he was the OG Tin Man, um, was like, oh, that like accessories kid because he would see me wearing like a headband <laughs> or like an arm sleeve and a race or whatever, you know, it's like, um, I guess it's just like, it just goes back to like, oh, it's that just a little bit of swagger to hold your, you yeah, know, sure. like when you get to that starting line, you just feel good, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Like, like even like wearing like half tights instead of like short shorts and like a 5k, like Morgan considers like it's an accessory. Like, yeah. like, like you shouldn't be wearing that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. so that's where that came from. Sure. Just, uh, just busting my chops. You, know? <laughs> you survived a black widow spider bite. Yeah, I did. What happened um, yeah, I was, uh, sorry guys, it's a little bit yeah. off the running, uh, <laughs> but I'm just curious. Yeah. About that um, so. yeah, I was at, uh, I was at like a running camp and I was like leaving, uh, a dorm room that I shouldn't have been in that late at night. Um, getting back <laughs> to my dorm. Um, and I was just like, uh, had, I was just like very uh, joyful and uh, had like my hand up against like a brick wall, just like uh, giving myself high fives with the bricks and just felt a little prick. And uh, <laughs> next thing I know, like I was getting like, I felt like Mr. Freeze getting like my whole arm frozen with like anti-venom in me, oh, wow. um, like getting rushed to the hospital. But yeah, that's that story. <laughs> you still, you're still yeah. alive. Yeah. And they, the, you know, the doctors basically said with that experience, they were like, yeah, the only the only spider that could, with like something that could like affect your body that quickly, you yeah. know, because I never saw the spider. Um, it's a much better story when I say it's a black widow spider bite, but the doctors did say it's like the only spider that could have that type of reaction to your hand and like lose feeling and loss of connection with your brain so quickly, like not being able to sure. move my hand properly sure. and losing that motor control was, uh, it was like, yeah, it was like a spider as poisonous as the black widow. They said, sure. so sure. 
And lastly, um, you touched on it about halfway through the podcast episode, but you said that you're currently sort of preparing and thinking about the things that Team and Lead are going to be sort of working yeah. on this year. Mm-hmm. Anything that you can share at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm all about teasers and things like that. Yeah, but, let's, um, let's do it. You know, I want, you know, I, I continually want to like push the boundaries of like what people have seen before in the sport and what uh, people have done before in the sport. And uh, one avenue for that is I really want to y- unite Adidas runners, um, like other professional runners, um, to like incite their creativity. You know, Adidas is the creator's brand and that's how they market themselves quite a bit with um, that. And I'm starting to work with other Adidas professional runners um, on collections. So we have one with um, a professional Adidas woman that's helped, that, that helped me design, that we designed together um, a full women's collection um, releasing on March 8th for International Women's Day um, that we're really excited about. And then we have another collection coming out with an Adidas sprinter that I'm sure everyone could probably guess coming out um, leading into the trials yeah. um, as kind of this like speed meet strength collection that I'm really excited about. Um just to continue to yeah, work with fellow creatives and kind of going back to this story of at Adidas is uh, not enough people get the opportunity to like express themselves creatively, you know, creatively, um, um, <laughs> creatively is, um, and to be able to give other Adidas athletes like a platform through um, like our product to like design their, their own things is something I'm really excited about. So and um, the, and then like the last one um, that I'm working on is um, I was obsessed with this poster I had growing up um, that my high school coach had in his office, and it was like "Where are all the rock star runners?" Yeah. Um, and it was Prefontaine's eyes, and it just said "Where are all the rock star runners?" across it, and uh, it still like rings in my head today. And I think that there's not enough um, you know fandom in the sport, and you know the word the term like fanboy is very like frowned upon and I hate that word so much because there's fanboys such diehard fanboys in football and in soccer you know like every sport has fanboys but they're not seen as like weak or they're oh you're young and it's childish to do that for a runner you know it's like you look up to LeBron James you're not getting called a fanboy if you wear his jersey to a Lakers game right you know it's like no you're a fan of LeBron James yeah um so like I like I really want to continue to try to like break down that in running. Yeah. Um, so I like we're releasing this collection that's like uh, talking like the tour collection um, where we're going to like release our outdoor schedule uh, along with some product and like making sure that anyone knows exactly where we are and what dates um, as like a touring musician yeah. um, has. So there's like excitement. So like someone knows exactly, okay, Tim Elite's going to be, at Peyton Jordan in Stanford, like, I need to be there. They have the heads up for it. You know, like, you see an Instagram post and it kind of gets lost like this. People will know yeah. where we are and how they can come and support us and be a part of it. And the same way, I think that you need to make it experiential for people. And a part of an experience with a concert, like, no one goes to a Kanye concert and doesn't try to get, like, a piece of Kanye, like, like, like a shirt or a hat or something, you yeah. know, like, yeah. easy. Um, and I want that to create that same type of experience for that kid to be able to, or whoever it may be, to like get that Tin Man Boston t-shirt or get that Tin Man um, Trials t-shirt or something, you know, to like create like a experience for them to then, you know, hopefully grow, grow our sport more and create more fans and create more diehard fans for life for our sport and hopefully incite other, other teams and other 
people to see what we're doing and maybe steal some of our ideas so they can start pushing the sport forward with us. Awesome. I love it. Probably so, said too much there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to piss off my uh, business partners there. <laughs> I'm not going to edit any of that out. Okay. So, um, so for people that are not following along already or following along maybe on a channel that you're not so active on, where's the best place to follow Team Elite? Uh, Instagram, you guys have Yeah. Um, is there anywhere else? Yeah, Twitter, the, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. We're on every channel. I guess we might have to make a TikTok at some point once that takes over Instagram. I saw but. you doing something with TikTok in, uh, in Phoenix where you just Yeah, wanted, yeah, just, yeah. Fooling, just, 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 just fooling around. Okay. We'll see. Yeah. Just yeah. wanted to get ahead of the curve unless it does kick off. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I downloaded it too, but I kind of couldn't figure it out. But I remember being like that with like Instagram as well back in like 2000. Yeah, like, what is this thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. um, okay, so yeah, uh, as I said, I've been following along on Instagram for some time and... Mm-hmm. I think that's um, that's definitely a place people should follow. Are you yourself on Strava or? I don't. Yeah, like like I've referred to, like I'm not a training guy. Like, no. coach wants us to tell us everything about our training and tell us how we're feeling, and I typically don't do any of that. Yeah. I'm just like, well, yeah, I feel good. Thanks, coach. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't I don't do any of that, unfortunately. Okay. Cool. <laughs> and I guess you can follow yourself on on Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your handle is. Um, par underscore Sam underscore sons my sister gave me that when I was like as like a joke when Twitter like when I was like 15 and I just like have never changed it and like same thing with like my my picture it's like this little sketch that like my roommate drunkenly sketched he was like in like college he would always like sketch when he was like drunk after parties and come back from the bars and he would like put him up like in in our house and for whatever reason he just like sketched me this little picture of me when I was in college and I just made it my avatar and i've just never yeah never changed it you can find you by <laughs> yeah good story you can find you by just typing in sand passes at instagram or alternatively yeah. the team mentally instagram mm-hmm. page yeah. really appreciate the time all the best yeah, for the upcoming so much, season Matt. i'm really glad to hear you're healthy again and um hoping big things are coming this year thank you very much cool. cheers appreciate it